Amen. Thank you, Nate. Um, I also want to thank all of you. Uh, I haven't done this in a while, but I, I just want to thank you so much for the way that you sang this morning. Um, you know, what we saw when we went through Colossians, that responsibility to sing and, and teach and admonish one another through songs, through psalms, through uh, spiritual songs. And, and all of that process of what we are doing this morning is not a performance. This is something in which we are singing to one another. And I was blessed this morning just uh, being able to see the joy on your faces as you praised our God and, and we did that together. If you have your Bible, I invite you to open up to Ruth. This is our third message in the book of Ruth, and we have a lot to get to this morning. But first, I just want us to remember a little bit of where we've been. Ruth is a beautiful story that impacts us where we are, not just because it's this beautiful masterpiece of literature, it's beautiful in the way that it portrays real life. The tragedies, the sorrows, the difficulties that happen, the, the emotions we see in the characters of this story, we identify with those things. This is not a fairy tale story. This is reality. It deals with some of life's hardest issues and answers some of life's hardest questions. When we consider the very first five verses of Ruth, we, we asked a hard question that Sunday because the first five verses of Ruth start in a dark place. There's pain. There's anguish. It's a place of desolation. And so the question that it caused us to ask is, is God good? Is he loving? Does he care? Is he kind? Naomi struggled with those questions in light of the bitter hardships she had encountered. But what we discovered is that God is good. His steadfast love endures forever. We saw that God remains in control and has a plan of redemption we saw that the theme of Ruth, what we're going to be looking at, is that only God can produce sweet harvests from bitter hardships. And that's what we're looking forward to, but we hadn't quite gotten there yet in those first five verses. We saw that we must rest in God's redeeming love for he rescues those in distress. But how can we rest in his love if we have moved far, far from him? The characters in our story went away from the promised land. They're in Moab. As we looked at the rest of chapter one, the question that we asked was, what do we do? Where do we go? Who do we turn to when we realize we are in Moab? There are many ways in which we might get to Moab. We might have always been an inhabitant of Moab. That being said, the why or how we are in Moab doesn't change our response. What we must do, regardless of how we got to Moab, is return. Naomi made that decision. Naomi returned. She returned even though she was still going to make mistakes. She returned even though she still had doubts. Ruth returned. That word that we see over and over in chapter 1, returned, theologically it's the same word that we see as repent. 
Ruth rejected who she used to be. She turned away from her former gods, unlike her sister-in-law. She turns away and she returns with Naomi. She returned even though she knew the earthly cost would be incredibly high, that she would have to leave her parents. She would have to leave her people. She would have to leave her place. But she returned. It's the most important decision we have to make. It's the first decision we must make when we realize we're in Moab. We must return and find rest in the Redeemer. But now we come to chapter 2, and like our previous passages, there's a difficult question we need to answer. Maybe you're here this morning, and, and you're in that hard place like Naomi and Ruth. Right now, you're grasping for a solution to your situation. Right now, you're looking for hope because you feel like you've reached the end of your rope. Right now, you're craving for a sweet har harvest after so many bitter hardships. But so far, you haven't made any decisions. You haven't decided if God is good. You haven't made the decision to return because maybe there's another hard question deep in your heart. Do all who return really find rest? Do all who return truly find refuge? Because that returning process, that's hard. That process of deciding that God is good, it's difficult. Am I going to go through all of that process with no guarantee? Do they really find rest and refuge? Maybe you're here and you're also in a difficult situation, but you've already come to the same conclusion of Ruth chapter 1. You do believe that God is good. You have realized you were in Moab and you have tried so hard to return. But you struggle with the same question. The reason you struggle is because even though you feel like you have done all of the right things, you still feel like there's no rest and refuge for you. Do all who return find rest? Will they really find refuge? Maybe you're here and actually you're not facing hardships. Maybe right now life is looking pretty good. You're still interested in Ruth. You still see the truth of what's been shared. You understand the value of getting this formula that produces sweet harvest from bitter hardships. But let's be honest, you still also consider this question because theologically, you think people who will return will find rest. But practically, you're not sure. You, you think about those different times in which you're not the one going through something hard, but the person you love is going through hard and you want to comfort them and you're saying these things that you believe are true, but you're just not sure. You say, it's going to work out. Return to God. Rest in him. You'll find a refuge. But there's that nagging question just in the back of your mind where it's like, is this actually true? Does this actually happen? This morning we're going to consider this question of do all who return find rest? Do they find refuge? And we're going to look at it according to chapter 2. Here's our big idea for this morning. Seek refuge in the Redeemer by faithfully striving to follow his will. 
Seek refuge in the Redeemer by faithfully striving to follow his will. Let's begin by looking at verse 1. This is what it says. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. This section is kind of strange in our passage, this first verse. If you're just starting reading from chapter 2, it kind of seems like maybe it's going to fit, but really, it's a side note from the author. The omniscient author who knows where this story is going, he decided to insert this verse right in the middle of a different person's story. So far, we've been looking at the story of Ruth and Naomi. We've also heard of Elimelech, but Elimelech was was eliminated quickly. He's no longer part of the story. And yet, now we're going to talk about some relative What's going on here? If you have your Bible, just go to verse 22. Look at the last verse of chapter 1. Look at the end of chapter 21. And, and what we're, I want to just illustrate of how this seems to not really fit in. Let's read from verse 22 of chapter 1 and then skip verse 1 and go right into verse 2. Look at, look at how it reads. So Naomi returned. And Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. That fits very well. To go from verse 22 straight into verse 2 is seamless. Why this side note from the author? Why insert this part? I think the author is demonstrating to us a change in tone. He's demonstrating to us that this second scene of the book is not going to be like the first scene. I don't know about you, but I don't think I could go through scene one again. There was a weight there. There was a pain. There was the difficult decision of a pilgrimage to leave that place. But now we see that there's a difference. How, how, does, how is the author conveying that to us? Well, compare the beginning of chapter 2 to the beginning of chapter 1. In chapter 1, we are told that there is a famine. And Elimelech, this man and his family, leads his people away from God. We know that because famines didn't just happen. They were something that God caused for in the promised land. And within that, part of the problem was what it says in the beginning of chapter 1, that it was in the days that the judges ruled. Well, the judges ends, the book ends by saying, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And we start chapter one of Ruth thinking, well, maybe someone's not going to do that. And if there's someone we think won't do that, it's Elimelech. Because as we talked about last week, what does Elimelech mean? My God is king. So if there's someone that's going to go against what everyone else is doing and say, no, I'm actually going to treat God as king, it's the man who's named my God is king. But he does the opposite. He runs away. He doesn't repent. He leads his family. And because of his decisions, he places bitter burdens on the people around him. 
That's how chapter one starts. But chapter two says something different. There was a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. If the results of Elimelech's faithlessness were bitter burdens placed on others, what will the results of Boaz's faithfulness be? We'll have to wait and see. Let's keep going. There's another reason, though, that this is important for the author to include here. I think what the author is demonstrating us is a reminder that God is telling a bigger story than the one we can conceive. We're reading this story. Ruth and Naomi lived this story. Did Ruth and Naomi have a chance to read chapter 2, verse 1? No, for them, it actually went from verse 22 of chapter 1 straight into chapter 2, verse 2. They're not aware of Boaz. Ruth has no idea who this man is. Naomi, we'll discover later, has an idea of who she is, but in this moment, she's not thinking about Boaz. In this moment, all she can see is her own story. Isn't that what we struggle with? Aren't we going through life and thinking, God, I want to rest in you. I want to trust you. But all of the details of my life don't look like you providing. They look like pain. I don't don't see the the footnotes, the, the side notes that you're making. I don't see the other stories. But the author is giving us a glimpse of saying, wait a second. Even though Ruth and Naomi didn't know about Boaz, God did. It's easy for us to only consider what's happening here and now. It's easy for us to forget that there's more going on that we can, can conceive. It's easy to lose sight in the masterpiece God is creating, that he is weaving stories and lives together beyond our wildest imagination. We need to remember that for us, we will often skip from verse 22 of chapter 1 right into verse 2 of chapter 2. We need to know that God sees the whole book and is writing the whole book. He has a bigger story to tell than just the one that we might see. So we need to trust him. So now let's jump in and get back to our characters in Ruth and Naomi. What we're going to find in this next first section is that Ruth's kindness is displayed as she is going to humbly work. Look at verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. Remember at the end of of chapter 1, they come back during the time of harvest. In one sense, we talked about that that's a huge blessing, that they are going to be able, there is a harvest that they did not plant. On the other side, humanly speaking, what's the problem? They didn't plant it. It's not their harvest. They don't have, humanly speaking, a right to this food. But God already had considered that. Again, God is telling a bigger story because he had already provided for that. 
This is what it says in Deuteronomy 24. This is the law of God. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. We also see in Leviticus where it tells the, the people who are, are reaping and, and gleaning from the land to not glean everything. They're not supposed to take all of the harvest. They're supposed to leave elements there for those who have nothing. God is providing. But we're going to see here that God's provision still requires work. And Ruth is willing to do that work. I want us to just imagine and, and try to put ourselves back in the story again and, and consider the significance of what Ruth is doing. Ruth's request here comes with a high degree of risk. Beyond just the physical labor that's required, she's going to face significant danger. Do you know what one of the most repeated words in the book of Ruth is? Moab, Moabite. All of the time, it describes Ruth the Moabite. Ruth from Moab. They returned from Moab with Ruth the Moabite over and over and over again. And there's a part of it that's like, we get it. She's foreign. She's not from here. She's a Moabite. But now think of yourself as the first people that read this. Who's Moab to them? They're enemies. They're a disgrace. They tried to curse us. We don't want anything to do with Moab. Sure, God gave some commands and laws, but that's for our own. We're not going to do that for someone from Moab. She's an enemy. See, that's important for us to imagine what kind of response she's going to expect. But there's another reason why that's important. It's important because the source of blessing, the person who is going to remain faithful, it's an unlikely source. The way that God is going to move this story forward is not the way we would expect. We would expect Naomi, the Israelite, who's returned, who knows who God is, who was brought into up in that, to teach and bring Ruth along, but that's not what we're going to see. What we're going to see is that Ruth, the Moabite, is going to be faithful. So Ruth is faithful. Why? Because she committed herself under God to care for her mother-in-law. That was part of her profession in chapter 1, verse 17, where she says, May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Ruth has committed herself under God. And now, and that's not just words. How often can we say, read beautiful poems of devotion? Make all of these, these claims that, oh, I am going, I, I love you to the moon and back. I would do anything for you. And then when it comes the time where you have to do everything for them, are you willing to do it? Ruth is. Ruth puts her words to action. Now, now just again, imagine what that's like. Let, let's remove the fairy tale lenses and read it according to real life. Think of the position Ruth is in when she says, let me go glean, and Naomi says, go, meaning Naomi's not going with her. 
She's leaving the city, a place she does not know. And, and think of all of the positions she's in. Vulnerable in every sense. She's young. We see that later in the passage. She's poor. She's a woman. She's a foreigner. She's fatherless. She's a widow. Do you think she's vulnerable in this place right now? All of those things are not things she can hide. She can't go and say, oh no, well, uh, my husband's just waiting for me back at home. He'll be, right, he'll be here soon. She doesn't pull out the cell phone and pretend to be talking to someone so she won't be accosted. No, it's clear she's alone because what she's asking to be able to glean among the fields is only reserved for people in her condition. It's obvious where she's at. And we might think, but yeah, I mean, that's true, but it, it's part of God's law. Like he's already told them what, what the Israelites need to do, so she'll be fine. Yeah, Israel's not doing great about following God's law right now. Again, we've talked about this a lot. If you haven't already read it, read Judges 17 through 21. Israel's not in a great place spiritually. She's facing real danger, as we're going to see in the rest of the chapter, where, he, where what did Boaz have to tell his young men? I've told them not to touch you. I've told them to leave you alone. What does Naomi say when she gets back? Stay there lest you be assaulted. This is real danger. And yet what does Ruth do? She follows the will of God. She goes out and she works hard. Something we need to realize is that following God requires trust. Following God often is going to look like facing fearful situations. In order to find rest, we don't just return. We need to follow. Ruth returned. She came to this place. She turned away from where she's at. And we could expect, oh, Ruth, just stay home. God is going to pour out the blessings on you. There are many places that preach that false gospel. But there's a job that needs to be done, and it's hard. And it's a job that could cost her much. And it's a job that will cause her to face fearful situations. It's a job that requires her to trust in the place she is hoping to find refuge. Returning is the first step, but following is all of the next steps. But we see in verse 3 that God is still present. God is taking care. Because who's the person that knows the area in this story? Who, who do we expect would be a guide at this time? Naomi. Naomi, you're, you're a local if we, if, uh, so Sherry's going to be going, uh, Sherry Holloway, she's not here right now, but she's going to visit my hometown in Brazil later this year. Hannah's gone there with me several times. I don't say, Hannah, I need you to go buy some stuff in this other part of town and you just need to go there. Hey, just figure this out. Do it on your own. Because I know there's certain parts of my hometown. You don't go. You're a gringo. You're an American. You stand out. You have red hair and blue eyes. Don't go there. 
If I just let her go, I'm not setting her up. And yet that's what's happening right now. And we're like, wait a second. Naomi, you just said go? Well, God's still in control. Look what happens. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the uh, the clan of Elimelech. I don't know why Naomi wasn't Ruth's guide. There's a chance, and, and what we see a lot in scriptures, that Naomi's in a dark place. There's a depression that hangs over her, a numbness. And maybe that's the reason. Maybe it's because she has to go after other details of figuring out the status of, of her land, of the land of her husband. Maybe there's other elements like that. But for whatever reason, Ruth's alone. And yet God still causes this to happen. How do we know that this isn't just a coincidence? Well, because of verse 1. It's already been introduced. There's a worthy man. And Ruth happened to come to his fields. God's in control. See, see, sometimes we think that we're not going to, act, we can't actually follow God because we don't know the next step. And, and here's what I want to just remind you. We're called to faithfully strive to follow God's will. God does not give us all of the next steps. There are going to be times where we're leaving and saying, God, I don't know whose field I'm going to be able to find food. I don't know where to go, but I know I'm supposed to go, and so I'm going to walk by faith. That's what Ruth's doing. She doesn't know where she's going to end up. She doesn't know what she's going to encounter. She doesn't know what she's going to get in return, but she knows she's supposed to go, and so she does. And God provided. We come then to verse 4, and we see Ruth's testimony where we're introduced to Boaz here, and it says, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. We get a glimpse of Boaz's character because the first words out of his mouth are a blessing to others. And those others who he's in charge of are happy to see him. The Lord bless you. And then Boaz gets a glimpse of Ruth. Who's that? Who's that young woman? She's not someone I hired. She's not part of the young men who are here to to cut all of the different grain, to, to bring it down. She's not part of the young women that I hired to go behind and pick up everything and tie it into bundles. Who is this young woman? We see for for the young man in charge, what does he say? What does he make an effort to to say twice in one sentence? That's Ruth, the Moabite from Moab. Yes, that is how that works. But that's the part that stands out to him at first. But then what does he continue to say about Ruth? She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. 
Ruth stands out at first because of Ruth's humility. She didn't come and say, according to the Mosaic law, you therefore must provide for me. Can I please? Can I please just take some of the extra that's left behind? She comes humbly, and then what does he notice? She comes and she works hard. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Can we just stop and imagine exactly what kind of work we're describing? Okay, like I, like I said, they come by, they cut all the grain, that all is going to fall on the ground the first people through are going to pick the easy parts and they're going to do it. Now, just that, if you've ever spent a day picking up sticks, doing things like that, where you're just bending over the whole time, that is back-breaking work. But, but Ruth doesn't get the first pick. Ruth is coming after them to pick up the little pieces that they left behind in order to survive. And she has rested only a short time. She has worked hard continually. Sometimes striving to follow God's will is going to require sweating in the fields while working. We can think, wait a second, God, I returned. There should be on demand. Like, where's McDonald's? Where's where's what what I just need to be given? no. God say she's going to have to work and she's working hard and she's working humbly but she's doing it all while following God see Ruth's faithful kindness was not hindered by danger by pride or by the necessity of work Ruth's faithful kindness was on display as she faithfully strived to follow God's will we want to find rest and refuge, we're going to need to do the same thing. It's not just returning. There's an element where we might think, well, I rejected all of that stuff. I don't want that anymore. I've said no to that. Yeah, that's great. That's the first step. But now you actually need to pursue faithfulness. You need to follow God. And following God is not easy. It takes work. It takes humility. We come now to the next section where we see Boaz's kindness displayed through his generous giving. Look at verses 8 and 9. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Boaz is faithfully striving to follow God's will by following God's law. That's, part, that's an easy way in which we can follow God's will. What has he told us to do? God told them, this is what you will do for those who are fatherless, those who are widowed, those who are poor, those who are sojourners. That's Ruth. See, sometimes I think we overcomplicate following God's will. We we overcomplicate. I I see this so often, and I've been part of it, where we start all of these debates and these discussions, and we go into all of these theological nuances, but we miss the point. 
oh, well, couldn't Ruth, is she really part of the promise? Does she really qualify in this sense? Because, well, she has all of this and we could go in all of these debates. No, what did God say? Give her food. Sometimes we make this all so complicated when what we really need to do is just follow what God said. See, we have an example of this in, in the New Testament. Who knew the law better than anyone? Pharisees. Did they actually follow the law? Were they actually following God's will? No. Boaz got it. Boaz followed God, and he knew that following God's will means following God's command. We see then in, in, in this element of, of first Boaz's generosity, but in response, we again see Ruth's humility. Verse 10, then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? What did she say at the very beginning? Let me go out so I can find, maybe I'll find favor in someone's eyes. And God has provided, so she has found favor in the eyes of the man who was worthy. There's no entitlement here. If I had done what Ruth had done, if I had left everything behind because I thought that was what God was asking me to do, you can be certain I would be expecting a payout at the end of that. God, <laughs> I don't know if you remember this, but back in chapter one, you remember all those things I said to Ruth and I even, uh, to Naomi, and I even said, may the Lord do that and more to me. I, I said that and like now I'm expecting something here. There's no entitlement here. Ruth falls on her face. What, who am I? What have I done? I'm a foreigner. What's fascinating about this story, I wasn't going to get into this, but now I'm going to. Um, Boaz understands a little bit about this. Do you know who Boaz's mom is? Rahab. Boaz knows what it's like to be a foreigner in a land. He knows what it's like for his mom to have gone through that. And now he shows a love, a kindness, a generosity to Ruth. Faithfully following God's will means humbly receiving what God provides. It's not proudly receiving. Faithfully following God's will means humbly receiving what God provides. He gives a gift and we don't say about time. I earned that. We say, God, who am I? I'm a foreigner. I'm not a part of your people. You brought me in to be part of your people, but I'm an outsider. Who am I that you would provide for me in this sense? We see then Boaz's response, but Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Everything you've done for your mother-in-law, all of this, I am seeing it. We've seen and heard your testimony. She recognizes what she gave up. Look at the list that you left your father and mother. You left your parents. You left your native land. You left your place. You left your people behind. You gave up everything in order to care for your mother-in-law. 
Ruth is finding a refuge right now in Boaz. But Boaz is going to point now to a greater refuge that Ruth has found. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Does Boaz say, good job, you're going to find refuge. Stay, stick on this path. Maybe someday God will provide for you. No, what does he say? Right now, you have found refuge right now. That's a little hard because have, has Ruth's circumstances changed? A little bit. Like, I mean, she's found a field that she can glean, but she's still a widow. She's still childless. She's still a foreigner. She's still poor. And, and rest assured, even though he says a full reward, she's still going to have to work. And yet she still has refuge. What's the imagery that we're seeing here? Under whose wings you have found? Uh, earlier this summer, we hatched 20 chicks uh, this summer. And watching what those chicks do right after hatching, they go right under that hen because that's their place of safety. It was interesting because we, we free range, so we let the chickens loose and go around our yard and stuff. And, and what happens? Sometimes storms come through. And what does that hen do? She starts clucking. She lifts out her wings. All of these chicks, we would see 17 chicks fit under a chicken this big. And you're like, where are all of them? But they're all stuffed under there. Does refuge mean that no storms will ever come? No. Refuge means there's a place of safety in the storm. What God is promising, the refuge we need to understand is not, oh, find rest and refuge because once you've returned, there will be no more storms. No. Ultimately, here's the good news, that promise does happen. In the end, that comes true where there's no more storms. But right now, we need a shelter. We need a refuge. We need a defender. And Boaz is saying, you have found that in God. Why has Ruth found that? Because she's faithfully following God's will. Ruth wouldn't have found that if she had stayed home. Ruth wouldn't have found that even if she had returned from Moab and then just stayed in Bethlehem. Ruth found that by going out and following God's will. And she has a refuge. The other significance, though, is Let's remember, who is, who is Ruth? A Moabite. The Moabite found refuge? Yeah. Because the Moabite faithfully followed God's will. We're seeing what God truly cares about is the heart. She has found refuge not only because she returned, but because she has faithfully strived to follow. Look what she says in verse 13. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. More humility. She continues to walk in a manner worthy, and God continues to bless that through Boaz. We come then to verse 14, and we see that Boaz continues his generosity. This is what it says. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here. 
and eat some bread and dip your morsel to the wine, in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Boaz is going way beyond the requirement of the law. The only thing required of the law was to leave the scraps. That was the only thing required. Or if you forgot something in the field, to leave it there for other people. What's Boaz doing? Does Ruth have anything that she can provide to Boaz? And you might be thinking of the rest of the story and saying, well, I mean, yeah, eventually. That's not on anyone's mind right now. Well, we're going to see next week with the proposal, Boaz is astonished that Ruth would say, wait, me? An old man? Me? Right now, Boaz doesn't have an ulterior motive where he's thinking, well, I'm going to generously give so that I can greedily get. No, it's just generously give. He's just looking to give. Hey, you're probably hungry. Come sit with us. Have some of this food that we prepared. Have some of this wine. Oh, eat as much as you want. You have leftovers? Take it. Expecting nothing in return, Boaz demonstrates his kindness. See, sometimes we see that, that we, we want a list of rules and we say, well, as long as I do this, as long as I play within the lines, as long as I do these certain things, I'm fine. That's legalism. On one side, yes, Boaz followed God because he followed the commands. That's right. But Boaz was looking beyond just the commands because what do the commands of God demonstrate? The character of God. Boaz has seen beyond just the face value of the law. Boaz has seen what this means about the God who wrote the law. He's seeing a God who is compassionate. And so therefore, he sees that he wants to give more. Boaz understands that God's heart is a heart of compassion, so he cares for those in despair. Boaz provides beyond just what the law of God requires. See, following God's will is beyond just what is his written commands. Following God's will means striving to follow his heart. This is going to go down the road, and we're going to see a man after God's own heart. That's what we are meant to be, that God is transforming our hearts. So even in those times where I'm like, I don't know what the law is here. What is God's heart? What would God call us to do? There's another significance, though, here that I, want us, I don't want us to miss in, in Boaz's generosity. See, it's easy to see Boaz as just some rich guy who's just giving away his extra. Yeah, I'd give like that too if I owned my own field. I, I'd do that too if I had everything that Boaz had. If I had young men I was in charge of and all of this stuff, that's easy for him to give. Can we just remember what Boaz and all of Israel have just come through? How does chapter one start? There's a famine. Where? Bethlehem. How long does this famine go? Well, when does Naomi hear about it? She hears about it after 10 years that it's gone away. 
Right after Malon and Kilion married Orpah and Ruth, after all those things, she's been there. Her, her husband has died. Her children have died. She's been in Moab for over 10 years. Then she hears that God visited his people and gave them food. What's that mean for Boaz? What has Boaz just gone through for the last 10 years? Ruth and Naomi aren't the only people who have faced hardship in this story. What would you imagine would happen if you had gone through a famine? You had nothing, and finally you have something. What are you going to do with that something? Going to keep it? Keep it safe? What does Boaz do? The Lord has blessed me. Let me bless you. He doesn't hold it back. And he doesn't just give it to his friends. He's giving it to foreigners. He's saying, God has lavished his blessings on me. Even though I've gone through a hard season, I want to bless you. Following God means blessing others with what God has blessed us. The beauty of the blessing God bestows on us is that it can be poured out on others. Boaz did not generously give in order to greedily get. Boaz generously gave because he was faithfully striving to follow God's will. He was following God's heart. Come to the final section and we see God's kindness displayed through his sovereign provision. Verse 17, So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley and, the t- and she took it and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. First thing that we see from Ruth, more work. Ruth worked. She started early in the morning. That's what we've already started. She only took a short rest and she gleaned until evening. Then she beat out what she gleaned. She's dead tired at this point. And yet she's overwhelmed with gratitude. She returns then to the city. And I just want to imagine what Naomi saw. And I'm, I didn't tell her I was going to do this. Khaki, can you come up here and give me a hand real quick? My dad had this thing that if I ever was used in an illustration, he would buy me a Coke or something. So if you want a Coke or something later, we can make that work. Naomi comes back, or Ruth comes back to Naomi, and Ruth sees what she had gleaned. And and we don't know what an ephah is, but what we're told, the different commentaries say it's somewhere between like 25 and 50 pounds of grain, which I happen to have. (laughs) All right, it is 50 pounds. Can you imagine Naomi looks out and here comes Ruth going home, going home. (laughs) And what is Ruth? She is literally burdened with blessings. Imagine what, what has happened. How did they come back from Moab? I will need that back because my chickens depend on it. But... When Ruth and Naomi left, they were burdened. There was a weight on them. What was their burden? Naomi's bitterness. 
the pain that they had gone through. And now, just a chapter later, what do we see? Ruth, she's burdened with blessings. It's a beautiful picture of the reversal of what God has done, that he's producing sweet harvests from bitter hardships. So they have this conversation where, where she says, and her mother-in-law said to her, where, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living of the, or the dead. Naomi said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. He, here's one of the first things I want to see here. I want us to notice how Ruth's faithfulness didn't just change Ruth's life, it's changing Naomi's life. See, Naomi was bitter. Naomi was weighted down. And yet here, what are her words? May he be blessed. Look at what it says in verse 20. May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. There's some discussion to know about whether it's saying whose kindness refers to Boaz or it refers to the Lord. And there's disagreement. My view is that it's talking about the Lord. That both of them are true, right? Both have displayed kindness, but, but we're seeing a change in Naomi that she's recognizing, wait a second. God is kind. He's demonstrating kindness to the living and the dead. God has not abandoned me. And then she says, Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. That's one of the other words that's going to be repeated a lot in Ruth. This is our first time seeing it. On a surface level, what, what we're talking about, one of the redeemers was uh, within the Levitical law, if someone did not, have, there were many ways in which redemption like this could happen. One of those was if a person was sold into slavery, a redeemer would come to purchase them back out of slavery, a relative out of slavery. A redeemer could also redeem land. If someone wasn't able to care for it anymore, they would buy that land, but that land would not stay in their family forever. It would only stay until the year of Jubilee, and then it would go back. But if that person needed something, they could redeem the land. The other way in which they could redeem is if someone was widowed without children, then the relative would marry that person so that they could continue the line of the husband. And what we see here is what Naomi said before is no longer true. What did Naomi said? I have no hope. Should I say I have hope? That I could even have a husband tonight? There's no hope. Don't come back with me. There's nothing waiting for you there. And yet now, because of the way God has provided, she suddenly has hope again. He is one of our redeemers. A redeemer was someone who, though for no fault of his own, helped another who was in trouble. Do we have a picture of that within Scripture? The Lord is our Redeemer. We turned away from Him. 
We rebelled against him. We journeyed into Moab and established our own kingdom because we refused to repent before him. And there was a burden of bitterness that was placed on us. And yet our Redeemer said, I'll take that burden of bitterness so I can put burdens of blessing on you. And so Christ took our place on the cross. He died for our sins. And what he offers us now, because he rose again, he says, if you place your faith in me, if you repent from what you had, if you follow after me, if I am your hope of salvation, I will redeem you. This is the beauty of the book. One of the great blessings that we have here is seeing the ripple effect of actions. What was the ripple effect of Elimelech's actions? Burdens of bitterness. What is the ripple effect of Ruth and Boaz's faithfulness? Burdens of blessing. What is the ripple effect of our Savior? See, we need to understand that, that coming and, and doing Following God, though, is going to require work. It's not just turning and saying, no, I reject that. It means actually following God. This is what we see in James 2. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has a faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, but faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Paul's not, or James is not saying that you are saved by works. What he's saying is there's no such thing as a faith without works. You're describing something that doesn't exist. For someone to say, well, I have faith. It just doesn't have any works. That's not faith. Yes, repent, return, and then follow. Passage concludes, and Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you have gone out with his young woman, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. That's another seven weeks of hard work. But she continued faithfully following God's will. See, what we see in this passage is God's kindness throughout all of this in the way that God sovereignly provides for them. But we come back to our question that we asked at the beginning, do all who return find rest? Do all who return find refuge? And here's my answer. It depends. It depends on whether or not you will find rest and refuge. See, we all want that refuge. We all want rest. We know that the first step is to return, but how are we returning? Sometimes we think we can return simply by rejecting where we've been. God, I renounce what I was doing. I repent of my sins. I reject living in Moab. But if that is not then also coupled with, and therefore I will follow you, I will place my faith in you, then you haven't fully returned. That return is not a return of pride that says, that's beneath me. I reject that. Therefore, I'm returning and I'm turning away from it. No, it's this is what I deserve. You have something I don't deserve. I am coming humbly. Who am I? But I will follow you. That's what we see in Ruth. 
She returns in humility. She returns and is willing to work hard. She returns and faithfully strives to follow her Redeemer. And that makes all the difference. It's the reason she is able to find rest. Another reason we might not be finding rest and refuge is because we are looking for the wrong rest and refuge. Boaz sees her condition. He sees where she's at. He knows how hard life is for her. And he says, you have found refuge because he sees the greater story that God is telling, that he understands what true refuge is, that God provides safety. Seek refuge in the Redeemer by faithfully striving to follow his will. Worship team can come up and and, and I just wanna remind us of this. When you faithfully follow, you not only find refuge for yourself, you become a refuge for others. Boaz faithfully followed God and became a refuge for others. Ruth faithfully followed God and became a refuge for her mother-in-law. The ripple effect of blessings because of our faithfulness pours out on others until one day we hope that they too choose to seek, choose to seek refuge in the Redeemer by faithfully striving to follow his will.